Yeah, so we've learned, and if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know it can be awkward, it can be strange to have spiritual conversations, especially with someone that you know not to be Christian or someone that you know maybe to be anti-Christian. And to have a conversation can be awkward, and you can have good ones, as you heard, and you can have bad conversations. And so we're doing, we're in the, we're doing this series called Speaking of Jesus where we can learn to have good spiritual conversations, spiritual conversations that continue, that lead to a good dialogue and, and in relationship that continue from conversations that we already have and relationships that we're already in. We seek to continue those relationships and do so in a, in a kind and loving way. And so today we're going to take a look at again about how we can learn to have these kind of conversations, how we can learn to be eager conversationalists when it comes to speaking of Jesus. Uh, before we start, I'd ask if you would pray with me. Father in heaven, we do give you thanks and glory and honor and praise. There aren't enough words to describe you or the way we feel about you, your loving kindness, your patience, your love for us is unending. This morning we tap into that unending love and your promises to come before you and ask you to grow our faith, to increase our heart for you and, and as a result for our neighbor. Father, give us a heart and, and a care and concern for those that do not know you. Help us to speak of you and do so kindly. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as a series, we're, we're teaching on the weekends for eight weeks this idea of speaking of Jesus, but really at the heart of this series was this book that we read as a leadership team titled 42 Seconds by Carl Medeiros, where he and his researcher went through all of the conversations that Jesus had in the New Testament, and they timed them out. And the average conversation based upon what's written in the New Testament is about 42 seconds. And he admitted that, you know, 42 seconds, these conversations probably were longer. These are not full transcripts of what was said, but this is what we have. But in these short conversations, Jesus was able to have lifelong impact and lasting impact in people's lives and impact them positively and lovingly. And so he's looking to see how can we be more like Jesus when it comes to speaking of Jesus, to, being, to sharing the good news of Jesus. And so for the next four weeks on the weekend and in our small groups, we're actually going to be looking at the four main chapters or the four main sections of this book as we go through these weekends. And this is a quote from the book that I absolutely love. It says, our goal, which is really our goal for this series, is simply for Jesus to be a natural part of our lives and everyday interactions with people. We long to be just natural conversationalists. Grandparents don't need a book to teach them how to talk about their grandchildren. They just need grandchildren to talk about. It's a natural part of who a grandparent is. It's a natural part of a Christian to speak of Jesus, but sometimes we've pulled back because we're confused or we're intimidated or maybe we don't know. Or maybe, like we said in week one, maybe we as the church, we've lost our passion for speaking of Jesus because what you're passionate about, you'll speak about. And so maybe we've lost our passion, so we've been seeking to reignite for God to reignite that flame of passion within us. And last week we saw that we need to be ready. We need to have a posture of readiness. 
because God is working all the time in the world around us, in the lives of people that we know, even when we don't see it and even when we don't feel it, God is working. So we need to be ready for the opportunities that God brings to us. And today we're looking to understand what it is to be kind in those interactions because oftentimes what you're passionate about can bring out the dark side of you. It can bring out inconsiderate, you know, we're inconsiderate toward our neighbor or we're unkind in our conversation or we're just flat out rude and hateful because we're so passionate and we believe you're so wrong. And so we want to take a step back and be reminded that in our passion, as God stokes up that flame, we need to remember to be kind as we are commanded over and over again in Scripture to be kind. And the good news is, is that's what the world wants. You know, did you know that there's a World Kindness Day? I didn't know that either until I started studying. November the 13th, it's coming next month, is World Kindness Day. In fact, there's a World Kindness Week. They have a whole website to teach you how to be kind to one another because we've lost that. We've lost that. We're living in a very angry world and we've lost civility. We've lost kindness. And so to be kind as Jesus is kind, the world welcomes that. In fact, the statistics tell us vast majority of people, non-Christians and people who've walked away from their faith would welcome a conversation about faith with someone who's not judgmental, with someone who's kind, I would argue. You know, this quote from Amelia Earhart is beautiful and inspirational. It says, a single act of kindness throws out roots in all directions, and the roots spring up and make new trees. Kindness can have that impact. The kindness of Jesus can change the world. It's a quote that I think this guy would use, Ted Lasso. I could hear Ted Lasso quoting that text. And if you don't know who Ted Lasso is, he's a fictional character. I do know he's a fictional character, although I admire him greatly. I admire the fictional character of Ted Lasso. But it's a show on Apple TV about this American football coach. He's an American college football coach who takes a program from last to first in the nation in one year, and this British premier soccer club or football club hires him to be their new head coach. And he goes and endures a lot of abuse, a lot of questions, and he's seen as being this nice guy, but really naive and kind of simple-minded and not much depth to him, but you'll find throughout the series that there's a lot more to Ted than meets the eye. I was reading an article from this British magazine, and the author of the, mag- uh, author of the article said, I'm just puzzled by Ted Lasso and why the show is so popular. He said, but it is. Just look at Twitter, and you can't find anybody speaking negatively about the show. In fact, Brene Brown, a a researcher here in the United States, has made herself the unofficial president of the Ted Lasso fan club. She finds the message of the show so positive and so inspiring, and she's called her therapist friends, and it's like, Do you watch the show? And all of them watch the show because they believe it brings joy and kindness and goodness into the world. 
And I would answer that British journalist, like, why is it so popular? It's because Ted Lasso's character embodies kindness. It's a kindness that I believe we in the world today long for. And I think that's why the show is so inspiring, because this character is truly kind. Now, to understand kind, I want to think, I think we need to differentiate kind from nice, because a lot of times I think we, we think they're synonyms, but they're not. They're not the same thing. Nice would be defined like this, pleasing, agreeable, delightful, right? Like Brenda, that's a really nice sweater that you're wearing. It's delightful, right? We would say those things, but you wouldn't say that's a kind sweater, Right? Kind is something different. Kind has to do with something internal. Right? It says having, showing, or proceeding from benevolence. This act of kindness comes from inside. A desire to be benevolent, which means for your benefit. I do things for you for your benefit, not for my own. So we would say that Nice versus kind, the difference is, is that kindness is always other-centered. When I perform acts of kindness, it's always for your benefit and not for mine. Now, I might benefit from it, but that's not the motivation. But while being nice doesn't have to be. I can be nice to you for a reason that's not kind. I can be nice to you for the purpose of me benefiting. That's the only reason I'm nice to you, is because I get something out of it. It has nothing to do with you. True kindness is always other-centered. You follow me? Kindness is different than nice. In fact, Penn Jillette, do you know Penn Jillette? He's the part of the duo, the the tandem of Penn and Teller, the the so-called magicians. Right? And they do these acts, and Penn is a self-described atheist. But he says if the Christian who truly believes in Jesus and truly believes that there's an afterlife and those that don't believe in Jesus end their, or spend their eternity in hell, he says the cruelest thing you could do would be not tell me about Jesus. It's a hateful thing, he says, if you truly believe in Jesus not to tell me about it. And so he would say, the kindest thing you could do would be to actually share your story. Because if you truly cared for me, you would do so. So there is truth there. While he still rejects Jesus, he does speak truth in that regard. But also we find in scripture that truth isn't just an action, it's not just a way to behave, but truth is a person, or I mean kindness is a person. And this is what Paul says about kindness in Titus. So he's writing to this letter to Titus and he says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Once we were just out for ourselves, we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. That's where we were. We were just like everybody else. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. You hear what Paul's saying? Kindness is a person. 
the kindness and love of God when he appeared. That kindness is Jesus. Kindness isn't just an action. Kindness is a person. Jesus is kind. And for us who say in our mission statement that we, look to, we long to look, live, and love more like Jesus, what should come from us is kindness, concern for others. And oftentimes we slip back into we used to be only concerned about ourselves, therefore hating one another and, and, and envying one another. But it says God did something different in us, not because of the righteous things we did, not because we were good people or we did nice things. No, because of what he has done. Because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. God has given us his spirit. He has given us his kindness for our benefit. Not because we were good people, not because we deserved it, not because of something we did, but out of his nature, out of his loving kindness, he sent his son into the world to die for us. And not just die for us, but to give us his spirit. And with his spirit living in us, the spirit of God himself living in us, it says that the fruit that that spirit produces in us is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And this isn't a pick-or-choose list. This is, you have all of these gifts in the Spirit living in you. It's as we learn to know the person of Jesus through his word and we learn to experience him and live in relationship with him that he brings forth this fruit. Jesus himself said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, then you will produce much fruit. And that fruit will result in kindness coming from you to those around you. We see this lived out in the story that we heard read earlier from Acts 24, the story of the Apostle Paul, who was the author of those texts we just read, standing before the governor of Judea, Felix. See, Paul is brought before the governor because he's been preaching the good news about Jesus in Jerusalem, he's been kind by telling his fellow Jews about the Messiah that God long ago promised had come into the world in the person of Jesus. Although his kindness wasn't received kindly, they brought him before the Jewish governor, or the governor of Judea, to try him. They wanted him killed. And so they brought him before Felix. Felix was the successor to Pontius Pilate. And Felix was a tyrant. He was not a nice man. He's credited with killing one of the high priests in Jerusalem. His third wife, he seduced from another man, stealing her away. He was known for taking bribes and being underhanded, and you never wanted to be on his wrong side. He was not a nice man. That's who they bring Paul before. But yet, Paul standing before Felix... And Felix is questioning him. And he asked Paul to speak. And Paul defends himself. And you get the sense that he has this, like, this man's done nothing wrong. I don't know. I, I don't understand how to charge him. But then he does something really nice. I would describe it as nice. 
he says, it, it says this. He says to the guard who orders him to take Paul away, he says he ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Well, that's pretty nice, isn't it? I mean, he didn't have to do that. So was that kindness? Or was it just being nice? Well, he betrays himself, or he's betrayed a little bit later in this story. Because we're told that he says to Paul, that's enough for now. You may have, you may have leave. And when I find it convenient, I will send for you again. And in the meantime, enjoy your friends. Enjoy the hospitality that we offer you. But he said at the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. Ah, he's nice. But he's not really kind, is he? Because if he were truly kind, he would have released Paul, for there was nothing to charge him with. No, his niceness had to do with hoping that Paul would get it after a time that if he offered him a bribe, he would let him go. He had an ulterior motive, and it wasn't kindness. It was filling his own pockets. The act of nice was not kind. And we're told that he did this for two years. He kept Paul in prison and kept questioning him, thinking, and probably after a while thinking, is this man just dull and he doesn't understand what I could do for him? And then after two years, he's reappointed somewhere else and somebody else comes in. And Paul clearly knew what he was after because of what is written here by Luke. Luke was the author of this text and a good friend of Paul, and Paul knew exactly because he reported to Luke what had happened. He knew exactly what Felix wanted. So how does Paul respond? Paul responds with kindness. He waits to speak. He's asked to speak. He tells them what happened. And then he tells them what God has shared with him. And yet he's sent away. And then he's brought back to testify again about what he has to say. And this time, Felix brings Drusilla, the young bride that he steals from another king. And they sit before Paul, and they ask, he asks Paul again. He's probably like, yeah, just get a load of this guy. And Paul, why don't you say to Drusilla, who is a Jewish, Jewess, what, what you said to me? And so Paul goes through again, and it says he talked to him about righteousness and self-control and judgment. Now, to understand what Paul is saying here, you have to understand what Paul has written elsewhere in his letters to the church at Rome, to the church at Ephesus, to the church at Galatia, to the church at Colossae. If you read these texts, you see Paul's talking about more than just, I want to talk about righteousness, that we get it from God, and that's it. No, it's a longer conversation. He's preaching to him the gospel. He's telling him the story about how God has created man and how God gave man this earth to co Govern this earth on his behalf, but yet man fell. And now God has this plan from the very beginning to redeem man by sending his son into the world. And that son is Jesus, a short version. And because of that, God sends his spirit into the world and gives faith through this good news. 
And the righteousness comes from Christ, not from our own righteousness. And because of this righteousness, we've been set free. But because we're free, we don't just use our freedom for anything that we want to do. No, we exercise self-control. Why? Not for our benefit, but for the benefit of others. We seek to live kind lives so that others would know this truth about Jesus. Because Jesus is coming back again, and when he does, there will be a judgment. And those who are found outside the faith, they will perish and, and live an everlasting life of of. of suffering. And it was at that word that we're told that Festus, or Felix, was terrified. And he sent Paul away. Now some might look at that and say, well that wasn't very nice to, to, to frighten Felix. But see, sometimes when you're kind, it may not be perceived as nice, and it may not be nice but it may be the kindest thing you can do to share the truth. We're called to share the truth in love. And I heard it put this way once. Share the kindest truth. Consider the person in front of you. I'm not saying don't be nice. I'm saying be nice. But sometimes we need to be kind over nice. And you understand that in relationship. You understand that as you get to know people. You understand that when you're other-centered. You'll know when to speak that truth. And we're told in Scripture in John that it is the Spirit that will convict the world of sin. It's not something we need do. Did you also notice the order that Paul spoke to Felix? He gives him the gospel first. He explains God's kindness first. Paul writes in Romans 2.4, he says this, do you show contempt for the riches and kindness of God, his forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Have you heard before that people can't repent until they know their sin, until they know they're a sinner? So I've got to preach the law to bring about that heart of contrition. But yet, Paul says, no, it's God's loving kindness that leads us to repentance. See, God tells us now that his law is written on all men's hearts, that we know the law in our heart. What we need is that loving kindness, that we need Jesus. We do speak the whole truth. We don't pull our punch, but we do lead with the gospel. We speak the kindness of God, or do we... Show contempt for God. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians, he says, so let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. That's a whole different posture than what we see in the world today. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Paul understood this, I think, better than anyone. If you were to ask Paul about himself prior to this Damascus Road conversion where he's traveling on the road to Damascus to go there to persecute Christians and Jesus, the risen Jesus, appears to him on this road and rather than destroy him as Jesus had right to do, Jesus shows kindness to Paul. Not for Jesus' benefit, but for Paul's benefit. 
He shows Paul grace and mercy. And as a response to God's grace and mercy, Paul does a 180 and is no longer this merciless man, but the most merciful man that we read about in the New Testament, who was beaten and flogged and chased down and finally killed for his faith. A man who used to chase down, beat, and flog those for their faith is now defending that faith. And he's the one that tells us to let all that bitterness and wrath and anger go. It gets you nowhere. No, it's being tender-hearted, being kind to one another that makes a difference. Paul understood Jesus because Jesus had showed him kindness and we need to stop showing contempt for God's kindness and take a page out of Paul's book, but also being led there by Jesus. Jesus himself says this. He said, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would desire to be my disciple, if anyone would desire to look, live, and love like me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Paul tells us in Philippians to have the very mind of Christ who being in nature God didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Yet he humbled himself and made himself nothing. Taking the very form of a servant, he became man. And Jesus says, if you want to follow after me, if you want to look, live, and love like me, then you're going to have to die to your life. You're going to have to die to your desires. You're going to have to die to your rights. To the rights given to us in this culture to say things that we want to say. We need to put that right up on the cross. To post what we want to post on our social media pages. Although we've, given, we've been given the right in this country to do that, Paul's saying we're free, but yet for the sake of others, I set that freedom aside. And I speak in the kindest way for the sake of others so that others would come to know him. Paul shows us a most excellent way because Jesus had shown him a most excellent way. And that was being kind to our brothers and sisters, to our fellow human beings. Because what God did in Paul's eyes was he opened his eyes not only to the truth of the gospel but to the truth of everyone around him. That Paul was once blind but now he sees because Jesus has opened his eyes. We too, our eyes have been opened. That Holy Spirit that lives in Paul lives in us. The very power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in us and gives us the power to live as kind people. It is that kindness that will change the world. It is that kindness with the passion of Christ that will cause people to be curious about who we are, will cause people to ask questions of us, saying, wait a minute, I, th I thought you were Christian. I thought most Christians, Christians were judgmental and hypocritical, but you're, you're kind of nice. You, you might even border on kind if it only be so. My prayer for all of us today is that we would be kind because of what 
God has done for us, that we would lay down our life, take up our cross and follow him for the sake of the world around us. Let us seek to be kind this week and every week, not just on November the 13th. For Jesus' sake, amen.